Hello, this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's Interview Podcast. Our guest this week represents two areas, well, actually one particular area that a lot of theater goers don't know much about, and that is the, the role and the importance of stage managers in a live theater production. So the young man we have tonight is an experienced stage manager who's uh, uh, been around Chicago stage managing shows. He's also an up-and-coming young playwright who has had a few things uh, mounted around Chicago. So say hello to Luke Hayden. Hello, Luke. Hi, how you doing? Great. Tell us what a stage manager does. Well, um, there are sort of two two kind of main main sections of, of a stage manager's job during the rehearsal process and during the production, during the run of the show. Um, and during the rehearsal process, basically a stage manager's function is to serve as the director's assistant. Um, you are there at at his or her side um, throughout the rehearsal process, taking copious amounts of notes, blocking notes, line notes, technical notes, anything um, that may come up in the rehearsal process, and communicating that as sort of uh, the liaison, the go-to person between the director and the design team, um, you know, the set designer, the lighting designer, uh, the costumes, whoever, and coordinating, uh, being responsible for coordinating, you know, the, uh, the meetings, and taking notes at the meetings, you know, production meetings and the rehearsals, and and just generally serving as kind of a go-to, um, you know, kind of a go-to person, assistant, you know, for the production. That's in the early stages, but then once the show uh, goes into like previews, uh, it's pretty much your show, isn't it? I mean, you you have the script, you have all the blocking, you. You, uh, if there's entrance and exits, you you kind of li- literally call those right and make sure the people are in the right position to to go on stage. Isn't isn't that true? Correct. Yes. Yes. Uh, throughout the rehearsal process, you're making uh, what they call a prompt book, which is basically all of the cues, all the lighting cues, all the sound cues, all of the you know, the effects, the music cues, if there are any. Um, and you're you know you're keeping a detailed account of all these cues in your prompt book, which is like your script. You know, so that when you know, during performance, you are able to what uh, what they term call the show. You know, and and on smaller shows, you'll probably end up running all of this yourself. But on big productions, you may have a whiteboard operator or a soundboard operator or somebody in the back. You know, pulling the flies. You know, to fly scenery in and out. And it is your responsibility as a stage manager, as a leader of the show, to uh, to call these cues to tell people when to go. So you're the pilot. You you you're flying the you ship. You are you are the captain of the ship. Yes, yes. You are flying. Uh, you know, flying the space shuttle, and and yeah. Once yeah. Once previews are over and it's opening night, uh, you know, the director goes away and it is your show. It is it is you know you run everything. Then during from the... oh, go ahead from from making you know making sure like I said you know the lights and the sound are running to you know to checking props to making sure actors are where they need to be, you know, calling them and saying, where are you if they're not there, you know, handling handling minor things that come up, you know, anything, you know, you, you know you're still the go-to person for anything from, you know, from, you know, uh, my button came off my costume to I'm bleeding to death. <laughs> you know, you are, you are the, you know, the go-to person um, to, you know, kind of solve anything that may come up. You're also the boss of, of the actors, production. too, right? I, I mean, uh 
you you take over from the directors. You're the guy now, right? Yes. So if yes. someone keeps coming late for for the call, you know, you're the, you're the one that has to check on them and say, hey, you got to get here on time. And uh, yeah, yeah. Part of it is being the bad cop and and saying, you know, you need to get your ass here on time, you know, because you're holding everything up, or or you know, excuse me, and you know, uh, making sure maybe. You know, maybe the blocking is getting a little sloppy. Maybe they're, you know, they're running a little, you know, they're running, you know, some of the lines off the end of a scene or something to kind of, you know, kind of uh, gently remind the actors, hey, we got to, you know, keep this tight and make sure, you know, we're doing uh, the show that we rehearsed. Are you the guy that throws them a line if they get stuck? I I do that during rehearsal. Okay. Um, I will often be on book. Because I, I have never seen that, knock on what's the quality of Chicago theater, even in the smallest storefronts. I've never seen, I'm sure actors are blanked and they maybe ad lib something, but I've never heard of anyone throwing them a line. But I know no, that's No, I happened. don't think that's done too much anymore. Yeah. Um, no, we are up, you know, uh, we're up in the back of the theater in the booth. You can't see us. We're up on our little, our little glass booth, um, you know, behind the house, behind the audience. And so we have no way of giving them a line anyway. You know, we're nowhere near you know, the action. Yeah, the, I so, guess that's only maybe some of the bigger productions, right, or the, or, or the old vaudeville shows or something. The old vaudeville shows, I hear they used to have somebody who sort of, you know, stood in like a pit, you know, uh, right on the lip of the stage and, and, and you know, fed an actor a line if they uh, tripped up on something. But I don't, you know, like I said, I don't believe that's done too much anymore. Um, you know, actors are pretty much on their own, you know, or at the, at the you know, mercy of, the you know, whatever help the other actors can give them, you know. So tell us the they the traits that it takes to to be a stage manager because it seems like uh, you know you're wearing a lot of hats. You are wearing a lot of hats. It takes incredible organization, incredible attention to detail, um, a lot of patience, <laughs> and a lot of of just you know being willing to put up with a lot. <laughs> Basically, you know you are you know it's it's what they call shit work. You know, you are, you get, you know, none of the credit and all of the blame. Nobody sees what you do unless something is not done correctly. Yeah, I've been trying um, to tell the Jeff committee they ought to have an award for stage managers, and they go, we agree, we'd love to have an award for stage manager. The only problem is, how do we evaluate it? It's, it's very difficult to evaluate. Um, and it's one of those things, it's, it's, I call it the most thankless job in theater, and it is. Um, it's one of those things that, that you shouldn't notice unless, you know, something goes drastically wrong. Hopefully you're not thinking about, you know, how wonderful the stage manager is doing because then you're not focusing on the play. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something wrong with the play. So, same with so lighting. Really... Yeah, same with lighting, right? If you don't notice it, it's very effective. But if, if right. the spot that goes wrong or, or blanks out or something, then you notice it. Exactly. Well, exactly. it seems like uh, a stage manager not only has to understand theater uh, and, and the technical parts and be a quick study, but he's really got to handle a lot of different egos personalities right yes yes it takes you know and it takes someone who's willing to stand up to someone you know to an actor who may you know this isn't so much you know the case for a small show but on a big show you know there may be stars involved there may be celebrity actors you know and the stage manager needs to be able to you know be assertive and stand up to someone who you know who is you know much more powerful you know than them theoretically and, and, you know, let them know that they're not going to be treated any differently than anybody else. Yeah. How about you know? standing up to, uh, to a director when you, you know from your experience or just from your perspective what he's trying to do, whether it's blocking or whatever, it just isn't working? 
That is, that's a tricky area. Yeah, that okay. is, um, you know, that's something that as a stage manager you really probably shouldn't be doing is uh, second-guessing your director. Um, you know, it's not really your job, even if you feel that it's totally wrong. Um, I've never, I've never, you know, had an occasion that I've, you know, felt the need to do that or even wanted to, you know, to do that. Um, that's good. You've been working with good directors because a good director should be, at least in the early stages, open to his creative team and and quite and you're part of that as a stage manager to say is this working or yeah what do you guys think and then if, you know if you know how to diplomatically say well you know maybe you're trying for this but here's the way i see it he might look and say oh yeah great so that's the time the director to... solicits advice absolutely yeah you know if they say you know what do you think lou absolutely i'll give my opinion you know or if there's a you know a practical or a safety issue you know that comes in they'll say i, I really don't think this is a good idea you know, for you know, for X, Y, Z. So you're kind of an advocate too for the actors. Besides being their boss, once once the show, you know, once the show's ready to go, you're also their advocate too, right? Yeah, in a sense. Yeah, well. in a sense. Yeah, making sure everybody is is safe and and making sure that they're all doing their job and and everyone is working together on on the same show. Yeah. Well, tell us a couple of the shows that you've been stage manager for. I know. I know one one is close to your heart um well i um i started stage managing uh pretty much as soon as i moved here um back in 2006 um the first i have been sending resumes all over town and um and uh, michael colucci of of what was then actors workshop theater now it's red twist theater um wrote me back and said and and i was looking for um for uh scenery construction work initially because that's what i had done most of in college and he said, well, we don't need that, but we do, you know, we actually just lost our stage manager, and our show opens in two weeks. Can you stage manage? And well, I What said, show was sure. that? That was called Loose Knit. Okay, um, yeah, I remember Loose Knit, yeah. And, and I had, yeah, I had done, I had stage managed one show in college, so I had a little experience. Um, and I said, sure, you know, plug me in. And, and I, you know, jumped right into, you know, they were in, you know, final rehearsals. And Boy, that had to be tough coming in that late, huh? It was it was kind of tough, but it was also I mean a lot of the work was kind of done, you know. So basically, you know, they just plugged me in to where you know to where I um, you know where the other person left off, and and um, and I just took off, you know, running. And the cast and the director were extremely accommodating, you know, very helpful, very patient, and and we opened and things uh, went you know really well. Yeah, it was a good show. Yeah, yeah, and I worked. I did that show uh, with them. I did uh, the next one, Proving Mr. Jennings, with them. And and I did Equus uh, the following winter. Yeah, well, well Equus uh, was a magnificent show. It was one of the biggest hits they had there. And it gave you the, uh, an experience of, uh, of uh, doing a long run, right? Yeah, it ran. It ran. Um, it extended forever. I think it ran for almost, I mean... I don't know, four months or something like that. I mean, you know, way beyond the initial yeah, four to six uh, production weeks, yeah. run. And and it was it was a complex show, um, you know, cue-wise. There are a lot of lighting cues, a lot of sound cues, and it's a long show. It's it's over two and a half hours long, I think. Um, so I mean it you know, it took some stamina, it took some, you know you know, to get it um you know, to keep it up every night. But but it was yeah, it was a very special well, you should be, uh, show for me. You should be proud of that because it, you know 
it got nominated for quite a few Jeffs, and uh, and I know Peter Rilo won for for best actor, but it also got nominated for for the the background music and and, and sound, and a lot of that had to do with with the quality of you doing the soundboard, making sure that those cues were at the right place. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I like to think, you know, that it yeah. might have had, you know, a little bit to do with that. Obviously, I didn't, you know, compose the music or anything, but it, it was my responsibility to make sure that it it played at the right times. So, yeah, so it was it was nice to be able to, you know, to uh, contribute artistically, at least in a small sense, yeah, you well, know, to what, the overall. What do you run into in a long run, now that you had experience with that? I mean, uh it's part of your job is to keep the actors up and sharp too, right? And so they don't get complacent or you know start just doing it by the numbers in a in a longer run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I said earlier, you know, one of the things you know you have to do um, after opening is is you know make sure scenes stay crisp and stay tight, and and make sure the actors aren't aren't you know being sloppy with their blocking or sloppy with their lines. Do you give a or a, a post mortem after every performance is that is that part of your style? Generally not. No. Um, I mean, not unless something went drastically wrong. You know, okay. then I'll say either you know, here's what happened. Sorry about that. If it was my fault, um, or or you know, let's not have that happen ever again. If it was, you know, you know, depending on what the situation was, um, you know, occasionally that you know. It, if there was a you know profoundly good you know performance, I'll go back and I'll say, "Wow, guys, you, you know you really hit it out of the park. You know, great job tonight." Good. So yeah, the positive reinforcement does work in there. So yeah, so you know to add to the hats, you know you wear, you're also a cheerleader. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know um, you must have some great stories uh, of things that happen. I know it's difficult to 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 say those on the air in a specific uh, show because it's too easy for people to look up and find out who's involved, but. Uh, is there are any little little crazy bits that have happened just in general, you know, as a stage? I imagine you have one little crisis after another, and you get so used to them that after a while, once they're solved, you know, it's like water off a duck's back. But do you have anything you could share with us? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, you know, something in every show. I mean, there's, you know, multiple things in every show. Um, I remember the final preview of uh, Proving Mr. Jennings. Um was an absolute unmitigated disaster. Um, everything that could possibly go wrong, excuse me, did. Oh. Uh, you know, the technical elements didn't work. The actors were totally lost. Uh, the props were missing. I mean, it, it was just an absolute catastrophe. What did you guys and do about it? Yeah. We, uh, you know, uh, the director, you know, we got through it, and there was, we had a, a pretty full house, too. So we were, I mean, you know, making complete fools of ourselves in front of a fairly full audience that night because it was the final... Uh, preview before opening night. And Ooh, that's that's bad. That's kind of late for that to happen. It was, yeah. It was, um, it was partly due to probably some under rehearsal time. You know, we we had a very tight uh, rehearsal schedule, and we, you know, and we, you know, just simply weren't ready. Um, but uh, the director called an emergency rehearsal the next day, um, and and we worked through everything, you know, that we had to work through, and. Surprisingly enough, that one extra rehearsal actually did the trick because because that night, um, opening night, it went off pretty well. Yeah, um, I, I was at the opening night. I liked the play, and and I you know, uh, I, I would see those kind of errors as it was a, a good play. Of, yeah, it was, it was a, good a good play, play. and in the opening night, yeah, it, it went off well, and and we never really had a problem from thereafter. So I'm not sure what you know what was cursed about that particular preview, but it just everything. You know that could go wrong. 
<laughs> did. I remember the playwright, um, you know, gathering stuff and walking out on her mission. And uh, I'll go into the bar across the street. <laughs> you know, he was Ooh, that's, just, that's he a bad just walked sign. out. He's just, you know, screw this, I'm out of here. And, and, you know, not a word, and just, and just stormed out of the theater. And I went to the bar across the street because it, it was just so bad. Yeah, uh, but I, I was remember I was at a Steppenwolf show, and an actor, very famous actor, who will, whose name I will not mention, must have started ad-libbing because the playwright was there, and she slammed her book closed and stormed out. There was a way of getting off the stage. What you know, uh, was in the small theater at Steppenwolf, and I'm just wondering what would I, I would have loved to have been at their little meeting after the show. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. So what do you do now? My last question on this is, as a stage manager, you're into the run, and all of a sudden you get an actor who just starts ad-libbing. I mean, you know, there's there's a few famous actors around town who, who just can't learn a script. They sort of do Marlon Brando, you know, sort of invent it as they go along. How do you deal with that? Well, um, I guess it kind of goes on a case-by-case basis. Um, you know, it kind of depends on how bad the ad-lib is. If it's just a changed word here or there, yeah. you know, from what's written, I'll, I'll probably let it go. Um, if, it, if it gets, you know, repetitive or gets, or gets, you know, progressively worse, I will say something, you know, here's, you know, you keep, you keep saying this line wrong. You know, here's you know, here's what the line is, and they'll be like, "Oh yeah, you're right." You know, chances are they're just well. In this case, the uh, the actor who's trying to respond kept giving that quizzical look, like, "What are you talking about?" You know, that look, like, "Huh?" You know. Yeah. So I guess it was really you know throwing them off. If they're cue. just if they're just totally rewriting the show. Yeah. Then then that would be I mean that would be an issue for the director and or playwright mm-hmm. uh, to deal with. Yeah, I even think I'll probably more than myself. You know, to come in and say, you know, do the show that's written, please. Yeah. Yeah, and at a certain point, if it if it's really attacking the integrity of the piece, then you have to get it back to the director. I even think equity has rules of, of that effect where the director can come back. Because I've seen that a couple times. I was just wondering how you guys handle it. But generally, you try and handle it uh, in-house after a show or uh, just to make sure they're they're online. Yeah, I will come up to them after the show and say, you know, listen, uh, here's, you know, here's the line that's, you know, I think you learned it wrong or something or you've forgotten what it is, but here's what it's supposed to be. Um, and, and nine times out of 10, they're like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. And they'll, you know, they'll make it better. And, and I haven't had, you know, too many instances of that happening. Um, I've never had an instance of where the, you know, where the actor was just, you know, completely, you know, completely rewriting it. And, and we had to, you know, take drastic measures or anything. Yeah. But it does happen though, cause I've seen it a couple of times. And, and when it's obvious to us who have, you know, who have never seen the play before, you know, it's pretty, you know, it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah, when yeah, the thankfully other... it's never happened to me. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's yeah. that's testimony to, to what you do. All right, what makes a guy become a stage manager? I mean, it's a great role, and I, I'm sure you feel so great after a, once you've nailed it. You know, we're like opening night or whatever. You just know you've created a nice piece of art. But mm-hmm. what makes you go into it? Such a thankless job. Well, um, it's. I mean, it, it probably depends on on the individual person. Um, I I liked about it, you know, like you said, just you know, being a part of that final product, you know, that you were, you know, you were responsible for. It's it's you know, like you know, going back to being the captain of the ship. This is this is your show. This is this is you know, in a sense, your um, child almost that that you you know, have helped create and, and watching, you know, watching an opening night performance that goes off 
really well and being a part of that and hitting the cues just right and, so it's and the seeing internal. the actors do incredibly yeah. is 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 a you know it's a great thing. You we know, should to be a start part a of. tradition of having the stage managers come out and take a bow too at the end. But right now, <laughs> it, right now it's got to be internal, right? You just know you did it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you have to run down, yeah, from your booth down to the front, and yeah, take your bow. But well, yeah, some, uh, yeah, some theaters, you know, do the, you know, where the the uh, uh, company and the curtain call will sort of, you know, gesture up to the booth as yeah. the, you know, the way to kind of acknowledge the stage manager, like they gesture down the orchestra. Yeah, but uh, you, we should do like the lyric opera does, where they have the conductor, and if the director's in town, they come out and take the bow too. We ought to have yeah. that because uh, I mean, you guys are. Uh, I think people now understand and appreciate what stage managers do, uh, but you're to be congratulated and and someone's got to do the thankless job. It's it's yeah it's it's uh, not an easy job, but somebody has to do it. You know, somebody's got to be there. And, and well, that's cool. You know, that's it. That yeah. gives you a, a nice little perspective for uh, for your other real passion that we need to talk about, and that's and that's writing. That's the the playwriting that you do. Tell us mm-hmm. about that. How you got involved in that? Well, um, just kind of gradually. Um, I began writing in uh, sort of late college, um, just sort of for my own idle amusement. Um, I never seriously, you know, thought about doing anything with it. I just started writing just to sort of please myself. Um, and and the more I did it, the more I I found that I really enjoyed it. I really I really loved expressing myself um through you know through a script you know through a dramatic format and and so i started i started you know doing you know doing research and taking out books about about you know how to write a screenplay how to write a play um and and really and really you know the more i read the more i liked it the more um you know uh, the more involved i became well in I, it. it the the couple of works of yours that i have read You've got a unique uh, voice for for uh, for humor, particularly with a little edge to it, a little satire, a little sarcasm. But uh, uh, and and we need voices like that. So yeah, I think my um, you know sort of I guess my mo right now is is uh, more comic works. Um, I do enjoy you know writing comedy and writing humor, and and um, an irony is a major major. A literary device that I enjoy. I love, I love, you know, dramatic irony and, and you know, comic irony, and so you'll find a lot of that in the stuff that I write as well. Well, the uh, you've had a couple. Tell us about a couple of things you've had mounted. Uh, the, some of those short ten-minute plays. Yeah, yeah, just a couple of short things okay. so far. Um, one was uh, the most recent was at uh, Chemically Imbalanced Theater last summer um, for this. Uh, the short play festival called Kiss Fest. Keep it simple, stupid is what it, Kiss stood for. Um, just you know, very simple, you know, simple sets, you know, simple plays, and it was like a you know series of ten ten minute plays or something like that. Um, and uh, the play that I had in in it was called Newfangled, um, and it was about these two gentlemen at the turn of the last century, so around you know nineteen hundred or so, um, debating the merits of this brand new invention called the telephone. You know, one of them has bought a telephone and is playing with it and trying it out, and he invites his friend over to see it, and his friend is very skeptical. You know, what am I going to you know, going to use this for? You know, what's wrong with writing a letter, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and a sort of 
ideological debate ensues um, about about the worth of this, you know, brand new piece of technology that has sort of invaded their lives. That sounds like grist for the for the comic mill. So yeah, it's it's nothing you know nothing heavy. It's 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 you know pretty funny, pretty light. Um, and and I wanted I it's you know I think of the telephone as a stand-in for any piece of technology you know, that we come across today, you know, that we may, you know, maybe uncertain about whether that's Twitter or it's Facebook text or it's 3D movies. My, my pet peeve. I still don't understand why people text message. And if I wanted to do something, I communicate, I just call, especially if I had the phone in my hand. But that's me. And that's, and that's yeah, and that's what one of these characters says. It says, you know, what do I need to call someone for? I can just write them a letter. You know, and the comedy comes from taking something ubiquitous like a telephone, you know, that we use mm-hmm. every day and, and saying, in a sense, you know, you know, we've been here before. You know, you know, you may not understand Twitter, you know, but but there's you know, there was a time when people didn't understand the telephone. And and any plans you know, uh, on making that into a a full blown, at least a, a a long one act? Um not at the moment. Okay. No. I um I sent it um I sent it out to a, a couple of publishing companies, um, after it got produced. Um and I'm still waiting to hear uh, to hear back, there's um, Smith and Krauss uh, publishers. Uh, they publish an annual uh, ten-minute plays anthology um, that I submitted it to. So oh, let's hope you get that. That'd be good exposure. I remember reading uh, two things you did: uh, a long, involved comedy that that I almost saw as a almost a comedia del art piece, uh, kind of a big show. You know, you know which one I'm referring to? Oh, Adipose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that yeah. some re- I still think that is some real possibilities. Those, those uh directors and producers out there you might want to contact uh Well, I've been sending it out and right. and uh no, yeah, no response yet. I think it's 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 kind of a big play. It's got a lot of characters, it's got a lot of scenes and and I think it would be complicated to do. Um you know, possibly complicated to do. And plus I think the title, you know, quite frankly scares some people off. Well, but, you know, you know um, you're in town. Did all right with a pretty bad title. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's you know, there's a place called shopping and fucking. You know, there's yeah. there's obviously worse. Yeah. Um, and certainly, it's based off of what it is. Is it's it's uh, the Oedipus myth, you know, retold as a as a you know sort of a James Bond spy spoof. Yeah. Um, and so the title comes from the you know from the James Bond movie. Octopus. I thought it was quite um, clever. Yeah. Yeah. I thought. And it was... and it's it's very yeah very just. You know, campy, goofy, stupid—you know, funny play. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm still trying to get—you know—you know—see what I can do with that. Well, don't give um, up on that one. That, that I'm telling you, somewhere along the line, somebody's going to want to do that. And in in one production, you know how it works. One production leads to another, leads to another. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and maybe this. Will I have a couple of ideas of where I'm going to send it next, and I think I think it'll be okay. Because we, I think it, you're in a good yeah, town it, for it. We we. We have between uh, uh, Chicago Dramatist and, and uh, Steppenwolf's First Look, and there's several other uh, uh, smaller theater companies that are that are doing new works. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's a it's a good time. It's just hard getting the scripts. You know, I understand that they get overwhelmed with uh, submissions. So they do. How, how do you deal with that psychic wise? You know, uh, uh, I always ask the actors that the, the rejection factor of auditioning. You know. Ten times before they get a role, uh, it's got to be worse for playwrights. It, it is worse, I guess, in a sense for playwrights because you know simply because 
reading a script is more involved than just seeing somebody audition for you. Um, and the way you deal with it, I guess, is to try and you know try and look at it from their perspective. You know, you know, from the uh, perspective of, of the producing entity, and see, you know, try to see it from their end. You know, they, um, you know, the major challenge for for uh, you know, beginning writers is is simply, you know, getting your work read. You know, you know, convincing someone that it's it's in their best interest. You know, to read what you have written. It's simple as that. And there's two reasons for that. And and they're the same two reasons as it is for anything in life, and that's time and money. You know, uh, time. You know, you know, to read a script and to evaluate it and to do it correctly takes time. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and 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 these you know, these uh, companies and these producers just get inundated with scripts, you know, from everywhere, and they pile up, and and I know, you know, uh, uh, Steve Scott, you said, has, has you know, just piles in his office of, of hundreds, you know, Warren Yellow Hundreds scripts, of unread but, scripts, and he reads a lot of them. And uh, Ed Sobel, when he ran first look at Steppenwolf, told me in an interview that, that he read every one that came there, and he he had a couple other readers too, and he just it was almost overwhelming. And he said he would. Yeah, read. yeah. You have to employ other readers, and you have yeah. to. I mean, it's a full time right. job, and even then, you can't get through them all. Yeah. You know, so basically, I mean, you know, they're looking for any way they can to cut down on their workload. You know, on the amount of stuff that they have to read, and and the most common way they do that is to say. You know, we won't read you unless you're represented, unless you have an agent, or unless you're solicited. You know, from us, and and that's, I mean, that's just how you know. It's it's how they you know they yeah. they you know reduce their own workload. But it's probably to, uh, even worse of submitting screenplays. And I know you've got you've got a couple of good screenplays that you're. I, I remember the police procedural one that 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 uh, you had me read. I thought it had real possibilities, but you have another yeah. one, right? I have I have a couple others. Okay. Um, I have one that um, one is um, well. The most recent one that I've done is is sort of a it's a, a romantic comedy of sorts. It's called Whatever. Um, it's and it's about um, I guess it's uh, two people suffering the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Um, okay. Quote to quote Shakespeare. It's um, you know the guy. It's you know two twenty something you know young people in Chicago. Um, and, and, you know, the guy is, is the son of a rock star and the girl is just, is just, you know, drop dead beautiful, gorgeous, you know, whatever. Um, and, you know, what seems like good fortune, you know, you're the son of a, of a, you know, rich and famous rock star or you're beautiful, you know, I tried, you know, it ends up being a trap for them in each of their ways. He feels, you know, perpetually in the shadow of you know, his his parents' accomplishments. You know, he feels like there's nothing, you know, left for him to accomplish because everything's all, you know, been done. And she feels like she's not being taken seriously. She's an actress. Um, you know, she's not being taken seriously. You know, she's simply seen as another pretty face. It's the Marilyn Monroe, you know, syndrome. Yeah. You know, she can't be taken seriously as an actress because everyone, you know, just sees her as the bombshell. Yeah. Um, and, they, and they get together, and it's, you know, there's, you know, there's a romantic element to it. Um, and, but it's, um, but it's more about just, it's, it's about, you know, these two people who have to learn to play the hand they're dealt in a sense. Um, that's a good lesson that needs to be told. Okay. Uh, we're almost out of time. Uh, okay. 
if there's a publisher or a artistic director or dramaturg or somebody who uh, who is interested, how could they contact you to find out about your plays? Um, well, they can email me, um, or they can you know give me a call. I, you know, I can give you my email address if you want. Um, yeah, just give me the email address, and I know you're a member of the of our uh, of our new. Uh, my theater club. They can contact you through there too. If, if they, I am a member of my yeah. theater club. Yeah, yeah, they can contact me. I have a profile in there. Okay. Um, and and my email address is it's hidenout six ten at hotmail. So H E I D E N. Not my last name. O U T six one zero at hotmail. At hotmail. Okay, great. Uh, I know I don't normally ask that, but in the, in a sense that you know you're you're. You know, you have these these terrific works, uh, and you're one of many, several that I know, young playwrights around town that, that, that have a lot of talent that need the exposure, and that was one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. But it sounds like you're real positive, and you're staying with it, and, and you're going to be successful. You also are going to be a stage manager again. Just quickly tell us uh, about that. I am. I'm um, I'm stage managing uh, Filament Theater Ensemble's upcoming show. Uh, they're doing Eurydice by Sarah Rule. Um, Good play. Down, yeah, yeah, down, down in uh, this space down in Pilsen that I uh, they found that apparently is very good. Um, yeah, I have not been there. This should be interesting. I have not been there either, so I'm excited to you know to see what it looks like. Um, yeah, they asked me uh, to stage manage it, and we just sort of finalized things last week, and I just got the script uh, literally last night, uh, so I haven't read it yet, but Great. I'm you know, looking forward to it. And, and yeah, that'll be coming up in in April, May. Well, Luke, keep up the good work. Keep on, keep on writing, and just keep on plugging away. You know, it's it's going to happen. It, and you're in the right town for it. Uh, we've we've discovered so many good writers in this town, and, and you know, a lot of them move on, you know, and get their stuff produced all over. So I, I remember guys like Mamet. You know, that's where he got his start. So yeah, keep keep up the good work. And folks, uh, thanks for listening. And remember, go see a play this week. <laughs>